Hello and welcome. I'm Sam Harris, and it is my true honor and pleasure to host you here on the Growth Mindset Podcast. I talk to amazing individuals about how they achieve their dreams and break down the strategies it takes to lead explosive tech businesses to being paid to travel the world. I deep dive into topics such as Bitcoin and fintech or just how to get stuff done with the goal of increasing our own collective wisdom and making us all happier, healthier and wealthier. Who doesn't want that? On the podcast today we have Rob Price, an English teacher, an author and a philosopher working in Thailand and soon moving to China. He has some really interesting views on the world and he was a really great guy to chat about life and things with when I spent time with him over Christmas in December 2017. On the podcast we discuss a variety of things from the topics of teaching and just being useful to the world and travelling to such things as nuclear winters or AI taking over the world, human beings taking over the galaxies, and what is the point of living and why no one will read books in the future. So it's certainly a great podcast for anyone who likes to think about the future and the point of things, and Rob has a great way of just unpicking what humans tend to believe versus what's actually true in a given situation, and I certainly learned a lot during the conversation and I hope you do too. I do just have to apologise for some of the recording. My voice sounds a bit off on the whole thing, but Rob sounds great and I don't talk too much. And there is a lot of birds in the background, but I think that sounds lovely and I hope you enjoy the birds. Can you quickly introduce yourself? Sure. So uh, my name's Rob Price. I'm English teacher, both in the sense of being English and in the sense of teaching English. <laughs> my degree was in literature and I taught uh, whatever you want to call it, high school, uh, senior school, English for five years in the UK and since then I've been traveling around Asia and also teaching in Bangkok in a, in a international school in Bangkok. I know I guess that's that's my work then sort of my research interests are, are various very various but completed a master's quite recently in philosophy of education which is a sort of interesting either niche or dead end of philosophy depending on how you want to look at it. So, firstly, how come you started traveling and teaching as opposed to being a normal person? Oh well, I did. I did. I wanted to travel, but I, I definitely wanted to be useful when I traveled. So my first concern was not to just show up in a place yeah. and have nothing to contribute. I mean, I think I think that's still a, a large aspect of my life. So I, when I first realized I wanted to know more about the world. I, I suppose I was about 17, 18, like, like a lot of people realize at that age. And my first thought is, okay, I'd like to go and do some, some voluntary work. So I started to investigate this and I found out pretty early on that you uh, are really not, as a 17 or 18 year old, equipped with any kind of transferable skill that anyone could, could be or would be interested in, in having, particularly in the developing world. Mm. Um, so... I thought I'd, I'd better wait until I felt like I would be useful. And it's only recently, um, when I turned about 30, and I've been teaching for a few years, I thought, okay, I'm probably useful now. I'm probably useful uh, in, in a country like Thailand. Um, so I decided to go and try and make myself useful. Uh, I did not, I definitely did not want to, uh, as, as, a, 
a comedian I know put it recently, um, somehow leverage just speaking English into a profession. I, I, <laughs> I know that um, that might sound a little harsh to TEFL teachers, but and some of them are excellent. I work with a number of really excellent English as a second language teachers, but um, I've also met TEFL teachers whose whose goals are, shall we say, not not what mine are philosophically mm. and educationally. Okay, a lot of people do go away to find themselves and work in an orphanage or something, but it is sort of a bit pointless when basically you're only there because they want your money and you pay like three grand or seven grand to go in like just help them build some decking or something and it's pointless and sure just send two grand and then spend yeah, the other thousand go. pounds on a holiday you yeah know, like it's fine if you want a holiday have a holiday that's that, that's always been my attitude but you know you have to earn the money for a holiday <laughs> like okay cool and so do you find that you get a lot more out of it then because if you're actually able to teach people more deeply and you get to be more ingrained in the culture and you get to find things sure so i think that i get you get a number of things out of teaching that are not monetary i do think that the feeling of being useful is very real um, and is ultimately what's addictive about teaching so i've certainly changed the way i teach um in thailand compared to where i taught in london i taught in london five years and um, in London, focus is very much on social mobility and and also equality, right? You know, you're you're working in the UK in a very unequal society, and I was working with kids who maybe lacked opportunity, and I was I was very much focused on how could I get them access to um, to a different kind of life, to the life that a lot of them were facing. That's not a problem to the kids in an international school. They they are going to have a very nice quality of life. So so in some ways their goals are are, are much more straightforward. They want to speak really excellent English, and um, so what I teach and the way I teach has changed drastically, because what's addictive is a student being grateful, mm. and not all students literally say thank you. Some do, but students show gratitude to teachers in different ways and that is that is the buzz that's when you know you've succeeded um for me it was um when i started teaching them very very specific um and useful pieces of language for example um i think one of the most useful things i've taught recently is the difference between uh, might could should can and will which to a native English speaker you just use intuitively. Yeah. That's ridiculously hard to explain uh, and took a lot of thought yeah. in order to deliver. But when you then hear students and see in writing students using those words correctly or even using them incorrectly but just trying yeah. as opposed to yeah. just evading it, that's, that's incredibly addictive. What made you choose the places you travelled to? Was it just what happened to be the opportunities that came up? The uh, honest answer is uh, I had a, a family friend had moved to Bangkok many years ago yeah. um, and he had seemed like someone who did his own thing. Um, and so I kind of followed his lead. I thought, yeah, he seems he seems pretty free. He seems yeah. to have just done what he wanted. I'll do that, um, which which might seem paradoxical and probably is paradoxical, but, you know, whatever. And um, mm. as for the actual travel destinations um i'm married to a geography teacher so i pretty much just go off what she tells me is an interesting place to visit um i can I, you know my interests are more in history so 
I can tell her where was interesting, you know. Yeah. Two thousand years ago, but you you'll get there and it'll just be a bunch of rocks. Mm. And once you've seen rocks, you you have seen them. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm kind of over ruined. Exactly right. Mm. I want to see I want to see something alive. So I just ask her what's <laughs> going on. <laughs> yeah, cool. Yeah, have you been to any like international development crises areas? I haven't. I, I haven't been in a crisis. The the, the most. You know, there is a there is a crisis going on in in Myanmar at the moment, and there was that was going on when we visited. Um, so there are kind of moral, there are some yeah. interesting moral questions there. And have you been to Myanmar? No, but I'm going next year. Yeah, it's it's amazing. It's it's really only just opened mm. for for yeah, to yeah, the sort totally of globalized world. Yeah, it's very close to change. Yeah. Okay, so put it this way: most of the products in the shops are still manufactured just in Myanmar by wow. by businesses which who are you know, relatives of the military regime. Yeah. So it's like um, you'll buy a pack of crisps, and there'll be like a dude's name on it, and that's the <laughs> brother-in-law of the general who who one of the high-ranking generals in the junta. So it's like you're just eating these sort of military-sanctioned crisps. Yeah. Um, and those are the crisps. Those are the crisps you can get. So, um, yeah, it, it's changing. It's changing fast. Okay, on to the fact that you're writing a screenplay. So you've written stuff before, or you just felt this is the time that you need to get this out of you? I've written academically, um, and I have written with varying degrees of success academically. Um, okay, what does that mean exactly? I, I wrote... Like a lot of people, right? I wrote, I wrote a dissertation. That's the longest thing I wrote is my master's dissertation, which I wasn't happy with. Um, and ultimately, um, I don't think that the discipline of academic writing is that interesting to me. So no. I kind of went back to um, what I enjoy about teaching, actually. And what I enjoy about teaching is taking a story that I know is interesting yeah. and convincing other people to be interested in it. And I think that is scope for that in terms of how we write for the screen really mm. uh, i think most people now consume most of their narratives through screens uh, i don't think that there are a huge number of readers of literary fiction and i think that sales figures indicate that it's, it's falling all the time um, i actually think that what we're seeing at the moment is a kind of it's a kind of correction um, i think there was Never in history was there a time when most people read or expected to be readers or were expected to consume um, by sitting in silence and reading, unless you were like a monk or something. Um, I think it is there is a kind of um, unashamed elitism in the way I regard literature. Yeah. Having said that, I do think it's also important that as many people have access to the, the very real goods mm. that um, that kind of narrative can, can bring. So much in the same way as, you know, no one read the Bible, but everyone yeah. looked at stained glass windows and thought, "Hey, those windows are really cool." Um, similarly, or, or you know, you know, maybe you didn't read Homer because like, yeah. you were some poor Greek peasant, but you could look at Achilles on a pot and think that Achilles yeah. looked pretty awesome there. Like he's he's really fucking that guy up. Like, yeah, go on, <laughs> go on, Achilles. Like that. Uh, that's essentially what I think that the. Uh, that the cinema and also increasingly um, like Netflix yeah. do really. Um, so I just think I just see my project at the moment as as an extension of my teaching really is try, trying to put 
literature in a form where people don't have to be bullied or coerced or baited into yeah. reading it. I, re- I really don't think anyone should be bullied into reading literature. It's just there mm. if you want it. Um, having said that, if I can make it as accessible as possible, yeah. more and more people can benefit from the good. That's cool. So what is it that you want to teach people with your screenplay that you're writing? I, just, I, I, I don't even see myself as teaching people. I, see, I see, would see myself as putting them in contact with someone who has something to say to yeah. them. So, okay, so, what, but what are the stories that you want people to understand? Okay, so, so, so there are, are a number of, of writers who I think could get a lot more, um, who could be appreciated a lot more because yeah. they have, I think, something important to say about where we are right now. Mm-hmm. Which kind of, um, okay, so one is um, a guy called H.P. Lovecraft, who fair number of people know who he is he's, he's he's not unknown and people would recognize like his main creations but i i don't think that people would really read him he he doesn't he, he doesn't write in a way that is is accessible or enjoyable for for a modern audience that doesn't mean the stories aren't good yeah. uh, you know people don't read greek but mm. you know people are still enjoying the the, the, the stories of homer okay so what does hp lovecraft to teach people he teaches people um, a type of fear, which I think is very relevant to the time we're in, which is not a fear of really, it's not a fear of God, because no one believes in God. Most okay. most people don't believe in God. Coming from a Christian. Well, yeah, and I, I'm, I'm realistic about this. Like, people don't go to church yeah. in, in, in the country I'm from. Um, and, and yeah, as a Christian, I do think the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. But like, those are just words if you if you don't know the fear of God. Hmm. Um, but what people are very realistically afraid of and rightly afraid of is um, the sort of scientific catastrophes that they have in their yeah. minds. You know, sort of experimentation gone too far, um, ecological collapse, aliens. Yeah, those are those are fairly rational fears. Yeah. Um, you know, increasingly uh, artificial intelligence gone mad, um, and I think that Lovecraft wrote a type of um, horror, groundbreaking horror, which was which was based on science. He was he was yeah. a very skilled amateur scientist uh, for his time, and um, and put all of these these incredible references to to absolutely groundbreaking scientific discoveries. Uh, example. Um, in in the story Whisperer in Darkness, um, a race of of fungoid insects from Yugos are stealing people's brains and placing them in jars. Um, and Yugoth is, is it transpires uh, Pluto. Now Pluto had been discovered, I think, three four years earlier, maybe even yeah. the year he started writing it. I think it might even have been wow. as early as that. Um, he was super interested in the latest breakthroughs in astronomy, yeah. uh, and he he happened to know that we'd found a new planet, and he put it immediately into his stories. Now, I just think with with a few tweaks, yeah, the elements are there for people to have a really good time and mm. and get really scared. Um, yeah, yeah. So, like, did you read much like H.G. Wells or the guy that wrote Jurassic Park? Like Crichton, yeah, yeah. I, I read Crichton stuff like when, yeah. a long time ago. So many of them are like basically perfect science almost, with like a few little bits of like 
imagination, right? How, and maths, and maths. He, yeah. Yeah, he was a really, he, yeah, he, he was super educated. He was Harvard educated MD. Yeah. Um, yeah, super smart. He, I mean, the, the problem with Crichton, I think, is he, he's, he seemed to regard his audience as, um, I, I feel like, I feel like the tone of his work yeah. is, is patronizing. And for that reason, I, I'm kind of, opposed to him in 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 some ways in a way that i'm not with another writer who um whose work i think i would, could be very with, with very very minor uh adaptations could be adapted for, for the screen with enormous popularity and that's david foster wallace you know wallace is wallace was a contemporary of Crichton's, and he used to say you know when his book when david foster wallace when his book infinite jest made this enormous commercial success un unheralded commercial success really for a um work of literary fiction um people would ask him this question and say like how does it feel to be selling up there with with michael Crichton?" and he would say well it, it makes me wonder if maybe i've screwed up you know <laughs> like you know because he he essentially regarded Crichton as um something of a con man there is something mm. suspect about someone who is highly educated um trying to come off like an ordinary joe and that's yeah. that's kind of why i don't read Crichton yeah. anymore um i just feel like there's this tension between it's like he thinks that in order to get the ideas across he has to um pretend to be dumb yeah because he thinks we're dumb I don't think you do. I don't think you have to pretend to be dumb. Um, mm. People don't so read literary fiction because they're busy. Yes, there's a difference between like making things understandable and talking down. Yeah, oh, completely, completely. Exactly, exactly right. Uh, and you know that's why truly great TV and truly yeah. great cinema um, starts from the assumption that the public will solve this puzzle you're putting before them. You mm. don't have to tell them. They're, they're smart, they're just busy, right? Yeah. And like, or, or they feel busy, which is which amounts to the same thing. The effect is the same. Um, and that's why people don't read. People, you know, you hear people yeah. say, I don't have time to read. So my yeah, students like, say it to me all the time. They have the priorities, right? But, but, but that's, that's, that's my values. That's mm. my, that's, yeah, it, definitely. It, those are my values, um, that, that, that there is a right priority. Um, I don't know what's going on in people's lives. Like, yeah, I really yeah. don't. I, I certainly don't think that my students, the ones I'm thinking of who don't read, are lazy. Like a lot of them are, you know, I have one girl, she falls asleep in class all the time. You know, she dances like three hours a night. Um, yeah. She just wants to dance. Like, how am I meant to convince her to to stop dancing? I, I, yeah. I, I like, it's, she, don't, she doesn't care. So it's not that. I need to be as stupid, quote unquote stupid, as she is in order to make her understand something. I just need to give it to her in a form. Yeah, when she be receptive to it. Yeah, she can t she can take the um she can take what good is there and make something of it, hopefully, make meaning from it. Because ultimately lives without meaning are very sad. Mm. And that's that's the good yeah. that literature offers you. Okay. So that kind of moves into then the infinite jest and what is the meaning of life if you seem to be happy the whole time <laughs> yeah 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 um so so on <laughs> right okay so infinite jest by david foster wallace which i 
I just think that someone someone has to make some form of adaptation of this urgently to get this this message out. But it it's set in the very near future where the um, Canada and Mexico and America have fused. They they formed a treaty, um, wow. which is called the um, Order of North American Nations, uh, or ONAN for short. Now, if you know your Bible, Onan is the first masturbator uh, of of the Bible, you know, the actual biblical verses. And Onan spilt his seed upon the ground, uh, which was a shame upon him, which was a disgrace to him. Um, yeah, I was wondering if you'd said, as in someone who debates to the masses or like masturbator. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Jerking off, right? Yeah. Yes. So, so Onan, <laughs> Onan is the first person in literary, the first masturbator in yes. literary history. First, first wanker. Um, and so, Wallace's conceit is that um, America has realised its destiny, you see, in infinite just, and has just become a completely solipsistic nation. Yeah. Like utterly solipsistic. Um, and for and Wallace isn't alone in this. For for many literary writers, uh, solipsism is is the great fear, hmm. the idea that we can be sufficient to ourselves and need nothing else, um, is is terrifying to someone whose value system is constructed really around trying to feel empathy for people who lead radically different kinds of lives. Um, so. The the story itself is um, is partly a kind of sick joke on this on this thing this idea that Americans are are being entertained to death yeah and specifically being entertained by um, by television I suppose um, so there is an irony in in me thinking that this would make a great Netflix special but then you know what's Black Mirror if not yeah, exactly the same exactly. kind of irony right it's it. And themes from it crop up everywhere. Mm. Um, it's been called an, an unfilmable book, but the, the, the essentials, the essential point of it is a very old story, which is yeah. just the Golden Fleece, right? It's just the, the story of the Golden Fleece. There is a object. Everyone wants it. A, a gang of misfits kind of comes together to go look for it. Um, and in this case, the object is this, this videotape. Uh, which, if you watch it, you fall into a state of, and I'm quoting here, catatonic bliss, um, such that you desire nothing other than to watch it indefinitely. Now, this sort of links to the conversation we had about um, if an AI, for example, um, was given the task of making humans happy, if it was a super AI and like it take control of everything, it would like unbeknownst to anyone infiltrate the entire world in a split second. It would suddenly like using arms to sort of infiltrate everyone's brains and just permanently stimulate them to be eternally happy yeah and everyone would just lie there being in bliss for the rest of their lives yeah i've heard it put um differently as um to, to tile the universe with rat brains on heroin um yeah. which is you know i'm the same thing and, and that's this is what this tape would do in in, in infinite jest the, the the tape would um induce this catatonic bliss and it, and it's grotesque, right? People people who watch it lose their dignity. They lose everything mm. about them that we that we regard as as human. Or you know, I, I once asked someone, I once asked a friend of mine, like this question uh, when we were having an argument. 
Um, I said, well, look, if there was a an ecstasy tablet from which you never came down, yeah, would taking it be a, an act of suicide? Because I I kind of think it would. In the in as much as we would lose everything that makes us human if we lost our um if we lost a relationship to the world yeah that wasn't just just pleasurable i'm not saying i'm not saying by the way the suffering is good i don't think suffering is good but i think there might be a third thing yeah that we're that we're missing here humans we're kind of used to getting more long-term fulfillment from working towards something and building a family or having a job that leads to you making something or writing books and achieving fame and these are the things you kind of aspire to for like long-term fulfillment as opposed to just like momentary joy right i mean it's you know the difference between what i want now and what i want most yeah um although having said that you know in the book wallace talks about a, a study where um rats had electrodes inserted into their brains yeah that triggered exactly this catatonic bliss and that's how they that's that's essentially you, you, you've killed the rat then. Uh, the rat can never come back from that type yeah. of catastrophic bliss. And in the story, he says, and the results were published, and the next day the, the lab had a queue going you know, three blocks down of people <laughs> who were like, queuing up to experience yeah. this. So there are plenty of people who would see that as um, a desirable instinct. But that's utilitarianism. That's, that's, mm. that's something that utilitarianism um, cannot really account for. The problem of what else is there other than pleasure and pain? Hmm. Yeah, I know it's hard to really know, isn't it? In the same as in, not necessarily an AI that's given the task of making us ultimately happy, but if in the future you can just plug in a button, hmm. let's say you go into a VR world or something, but actually it just makes you infinitely happy, why would you ever want to leave that if you then go into the real world again? deal with stuff because same reason people chase drugs and things now yeah i mean and, and why do people get off drugs i mean i would say usually there's some there, there are variants on this story but people tend to say something like um what it was doing to my parents um yeah. i realized how much suffering i was causing um my you know my friends Mm. you know like people have people have various moments but they tend to yeah. those moments don't tend to be solipsistic those moments of realization where you're thinking i i have to get off this path tends to come with the arrival of or return of someone to one's life um, yeah so you know i met someone i fell in love uh, i had a child um my parents threw me out of the house you know like these are the stories. So this this goes to this this second thread that Wallace develops later in his writing in his unfinished book, um, Pale King, where he talks about the social contract and how really it is about how important belonging is to humans. Yeah, that stops us becoming monsters. Definitely. So what happens if everyone else is also in the same cycle? And there's no one to ever pull you back. Well, you get you get the end of Rome. Yeah, you get the fall of Rome. There, eventually, um, everything falls apart. The center cannot yeah. hold. Mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. It, it, it's it's the story of how empires fall, mm. um, which may which may well be what is happening right now. Um, 
And if it is, um, depending on your point of view, what we either have to look forward to or have to live in terror of is um, a vertiginous fall into into an abyss of our own making. Yeah. However, nice. however, <laughs> however, um, there is there is an opportunity here, really, um, for redemption, which I am ideologically inclined to believe can be mediated by yeah. art. Okay. But I, I, I'm aware of how absurd that sounds. I just think yeah. it can be. Okay. Can you define that a bit better? Like, yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> I think uh, I, I think that we need to just choose better heroes. Mm-hmm. We need to choose heroes who are more complex and more admirable and emulate them. Yeah. Okay. And live like that. So um, that might not necessarily mean choosing the best soldier. Yeah. Um, the best soldier, in fact, might be uh, a type of hero who was better suited to a different stage of human development. We might now be at the point, for example, where we need to somehow, and I'm struggling to put this together, but somehow celebrate normality or yeah. somehow celebrate um, being part of something bigger. I think an interesting example of this is um, the Christopher Nolan film Inception, yeah, um, which is the story of a man um, trying to get back to his family. That is that is what Leonardo DiCaprio's character is doing in that film, and he is also someone who is not shown to be very capable, um, not shown to be very exceptional even, um, and in the end, his reward, quote unquote, for um, all of this bullshit he has to go through in the film, which is really irrelevant, his reward is he becomes anonymous. Mm. I don't know if that struck you when you saw that film but his reward is he disappears back into the crowd yeah and no one he's in the airport he gets off the plane no one knows who he is yeah he's done that's it well done so it's very much not about being the one or the chosen or the most important it is about actually Mm. doing an immense amount of work in order for no one to know your name yeah Yeah, it seems a bit like communist and sort of in the direction like North Korea and all this Working towards something else, like a lesser playing for it, we cut ourselves off from like some of the conventions and amazing abilities that we have as mankind. We just stay in a place where we can derive meaning from doing more stuff, as opposed to having AI that does everything for us, and we kind of make mankind pointless. I can see, I can see why you would say that. Um, and I think the type of uh, agrarian um, communism or North Korean ideology that you're talking about is completely suffused with nostalgia for, yeah. for the past. I mean, so for example, everyone in North Korea has to wear um, 1950s hairstyles because the 1950s was when um, yeah. the, the dictator's father or grandfather, whoever, um, had was in power. And he liked yeah. those hairstyles, so everyone has to like those hairstyles. I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true. But I do think that there is no such thing as as an individual mm. without a group. Yeah. Groups produce individuals um, in in discussion and dialogue. And individuals who can't be part of groups can't even be themselves. And I think you see that. Um, I do think you see that in certain types of um, despair. Yeah. Um, yeah. So certain types of depression, for example, produce people who feel like 
they are completely alone in the world. And rather than that making them more individual, it in fact makes them completely anonymous. Yeah. I think they would themselves say that they were nobody. Um, Wallace's own, David Foster Wallace's own struggle with depression seems to have been um, worked through in his in his writing um, in order to kind of get him to this point where he he was almost writing about how important the social contract was in order mm. to cling on to it. So what will be your main predictions that the world will be like in five years' time? I don't think that there'll be more people reading. I okay. think there'll be fewer people reading. And I think the spoken voice will just get more and more important. Once, once the voice-activated functionality on machines gets really, really good, yeah. which is practically there, there'll be very little reason even to know how to write in here. Yeah. So what I do will kind of become a little bit like learning to ride a horse. Yeah. <laughs> it's like something you do if you're into that kind of thing. With the, with the important, I suppose, difference that there is a kind of magic that only people who read and write a lot know yeah. about um, that I think has universal human application. Whereas if I just ride a horse, like it's good for me, but it, it doesn't help anyone else. Yeah. Um, so that would be my prediction. People just won't read. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I mean, it's true. Like, you get more and more information from podcasts and audiobooks than I ever used to. Oh, we're just returning to an earlier stage. Yeah. Um, this it's a correction. It's it's not like, and th this is why I'm not nostalgic. This is just mm. how things have always been. Hardly anyone was ever literate in human yeah. history. True. This is banishing the school. Yeah, it takes time to sit and read. Yeah, and there's, and uh, and the only reason to train so many people is because the empire needed clerks. Yeah. I mean, once the entire clerical class has been replaced by um, super competent AIs, yeah. Who, Wait. Right? You don't even need to produce them. What would you do if you had two hours a day extra? Waste them. <laughs> <laughs> without doubt. Without doubt. Um, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's if you gave them to me now. Yeah. If I... If I could say you went back 10 years and without even feeling like you're doing work, you just did two hours on something. Every day. Yeah. For the last but 10 years. you actually years. were asleep, but it actually was... Something was created, or you done something. I would have done three things. I would yeah. have, I would have, I would have created um, pieces of music, pieces of art, pieces of writing. Okay. Um, I, it just happens to be, I, I've always gone between those three things since yeah. I since I was a child, and I'm drawn naturally to one as my interest in the other two wanes, and I've just yeah. bounced between them. Um, and I always have so so it would just be some combination of those whether whether what I make is ever commercially successful yeah is not what's interesting to me I mm. just would have made more of it <laughs> yeah you were creating cool what is your favourite or most memorable childhood memory um, I suppose it's a day when uh, some friends and I got hold of a boat and um, spent the day throwing rancid potatoes at each other by a riverbank from both from the boat and from the bank and taking yeah. it in turns because um, we also found a sack full of rancid potatoes and we arrived home covered in green slime and stinking and very very happy yeah and bleeding as well we were bleeding quite a lot it was fantastic 
Um, I I feel deeply sorry for anyone whose childhood didn't involve large amounts of dirt. Yeah. It definitely formed me. Cool. Yeah. Sounds nice. Awesome. Okay. What is the kindest thing someone has ever done to you? Um, oh, it's the day I became homeless. Yeah. Um, my boss gave me a place to sleep. Um, yeah. Yeah. That, okay. that was, that was extraordinary. Okay. Can you go into that a little bit more? Like, yeah. Um, I, um, I was in a very bad situation and I had to get out of the place where I was living. Mm. And, um, I told my boss and she told me to, um, go upstairs at the place I was working, um, which was a um, children's centre. And there was a little room upstairs with a small kitchen and a sofa that the staff used for breaks. And she said, you should go out there and you should sleep here as long as you want. Um, which at that time, for various reasons, I wouldn't have um, had anywhere else to go. Yeah. So, um, and I still remember, I remember very, very, very vividly um, being upstairs in this little break room and making beans on toast and being incredibly happy yeah um because first of all i was free of this god-awful situation i'd been in domestically and and second of all um because this was like and this was a moment that was like authentically mine yeah uh and that had been given to me without any expectation of of return or reward or anything someone someone had just given this like this sofa and this pot of beans yeah. in this kitchen to me and just said yeah just stay stay as long as you want um i ended up staying one night was all i needed <laughs> sometimes you just need yeah you can like time to just work out your situation and i didn't even need time i just needed i just needed to be welcome somewhere yeah which i was yeah. Yeah. that's fine thanks cool. <laughs> thanks rosie <laughs> yeah have you uh, told her that ever? oh she knows she okay. knows she's 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 very wise we understand each other great we talk on Facebook now. Yeah? <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, like, all people. like everyone does. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Have you got any questions you want to ask me? Um, yeah, I want to know what you would say about the five-year thing. You put me on the spot oh, with that shit. one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Why haven't I prepared notes for this? Yeah, yeah. Nightmare. Yeah. I guess I hadn't thought so much about the reading thing, which is quite a nice insight from your side. I do think, I'm not sure if VR will be good enough by then, but it's definitely... Having played with VR, it's really encompassing when you're in that world. And as AI is getting better and better, yeah, maybe five years, like 10 years time, thing like UBI, and maybe we will live in more of a state where people just live in these virtual reality worlds because it's more interesting and there's something to do there. <laughs> but in five years, it's still a bit too soon. And I think the trends of that coming will be starting. I'm not sure. Something I've really been recognizing lately is lack of experience being in the moment and so like, i'll be traveling and you see people in these really cool places like there was this swing on the edge of the cliff next to a waterfall and like these people will get on it for like half a second get their phone to take some photos and get off it and you're like but you're swinging over the edge of a cliff do you not mm-hmm. want to do that for like maybe 30 seconds and enjoy it rather than yeah. just taking a photo of you pretending to enjoy it and then dealing with your phone for the rest of the holiday like mm-hmm. i think Oh yeah, like posing is cheating. Yeah, po- yeah. Posing is like, and and I know I'm no like this must piss people off, but I I just I don't see a posed photograph as a real photograph. No, like 
unless you're like okay there, there, there are unless you're like Leibovitz right okay unless you're like a professional the woman who does the Vanity Fair pictures yeah. like front covers every year no fine like fine if you're shooting if you're like shooting a supermodel mm. um pose away but it's a whole art form in itself um and and it's only one style of photography and the idea that I'll shoot a good portrait like oh my friend will shoot a good portrait of me sat on this swing you're talking about it's as yeah. absurd as thinking that, like, if you give me a video camera, I'll I'll make the next Titanic. Yeah, yeah. Like, of course I won't. Like, there's no way. There's no point. Don't do that. Mm. Far better to just, like, photograph things that are really happening. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like hopefully someone will find a way to fix that so that people can focus more on enjoying themselves more rather than just creating a whole set of content to show off to their friends that doesn't really matter about. But, but I'm worried it's going to carry on further in the other direction. In a way, though, in a way, though, you know, you could see this another way, which is if the only place in which there is a kind of social life is on is online, is through social media. Yeah. Creating social currency to spend in that social sphere is not is not dumb. Mm. This is the thing you see. Like I don't think yeah, these yeah. people are being stupid. What we need to ask is why is that the only means of social expression? Why yeah. is that the only social space? And that's a far more difficult question to answer. Mm. Um, you know, yes, Facebook is occupying an enormously important place in people's life, a place that would once have been filled by, you know, community, trade unions, yeah. like sports teams, um, talking to people. Talking to people. <laughs> Enormous. But why was that space vacant? Yeah. That's the question. And I, so I've so far not come up with any real useful predictions. I do think <laughs> cryptocurrencies will carry on getting bigger. I'm not sure if any of the ones that are currently around will actually be useful by then, and they'll still have something much better. And currently, all the ICOs that have come out have failed to really produce anything that people actually want to use. Mm. So as in your buy these tokens just because of you hope it will go up in value and you can sell it. No one's buying tokens in an ICO that actually use the product of the company. So I think there's going to be a real kickback on that and people actually start only wanting things that they can use mm. as the blockchain becomes more useful. And yeah, still feel like Facebook could somehow become less useful. Whereas Amazon, I think, is only going to get bigger. Definitely the way they invest into the things everywhere. But people would have said that about Microsoft. People would have said Microsoft were untouchable. Mm absolutely untouchable when I was a kid. They, they really didn't seem like anyone could take that off. And, yeah, and who yeah. would Google, right? It was just some Definitely. search engine. Just some nothing. You know, what was Amazon? Some stupid company you buy books off. Mm. Even Apple. I remember when Apple was a joke. Yeah, yeah. You know, you so you think it changes so much quicker than it, it. Like, I can't remember who said this, but someone said um, nothing... Nothing seems to change, and then everything does. Yeah, and that's how it happens. So, I, I I'm not sure I can I can get as behind the the inescapability of Amazon. What might happen, I think, is is we might end up with something like full communism by the back door. Yeah, you know, if there is only one company and we all work for it, what's the difference between that and Stalinism, really? True. Um, so maybe that will happen, but I'm not so sure. Yeah. I do always get annoyed by Apple and my products. <laughs> just, just let me let me open my computer. Yeah. All I want is to be able to open my computer and break it. Like, if you take that power away from me, then I get, I get ants. Why do you hate it? 
Uh, it just seems unnecessarily expensive and limiting compared to Windows. Yeah. The only reason I have a Mac is just so I can make apps for iPhone. Yeah, I would. I would never. But I've never spent any money on an Apple product, and I never will. Mm. Let me break my stuff. Like this is this is how people learn. By people learn by fucking up. Okay. You take away the ability to fuck up. You take yeah. away the ability of people to learn. Do you think Trump will still be in power? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. He's hanging by a thread. But what do I know? You know, yeah. I'm not a Washington insider. You know, I'm a yeah, I'm a humble. Occasionally, humble mm. teacher. Do you think North Korea will still be playing around with nuclear weapons? <laughs> I just try not to think about that. You know, yeah, as someone who, like, somebody who lives in Southeast Asia, I want to think as little as possible about that. You know, we're, pro- we're probably okay where, where yeah. we are, but yeah, I mean, like uh, only people who have no idea of the scientific realities of modern nuclear weapons um, can even contemplate. Uh, a nuclear war with anything other than um yeah i think it's so ridiculous like if they do launch anywhere then they'll be destroyed oh but, not only that the, the biosphere will collapse it, i think it would yeah. take i think it takes 12 nuclear weapons to trigger a nuclear winter it doesn't mm. take very much at all you know there's however many thousand in the world so yeah we've been playing a game of like kind of stalemate hoping they'll never go further now they kind of got too big to really ever attack and it's like we can just hope that they don't do anything more. If twelve nuclear weapons fall, I'll kill myself. Yeah, like, I'll, I'll kill my really? probably kill myself that afternoon. Yes, yes. Would you not like the idea of having a bunker which you could live in for thirty years and just no. like write? It's over. <laughs> it's over. At that point, at that point, like we reached the end of our so cycle, and then we Elon also Musk really needs to work on his getting to Mars. Or we, or we just, or we just become sane. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I don't know. What what corrective powers are there? You know, I have to because of my background. I have to believe that there is something called democratic power, which provides a check on the insane exigencies of our leaders. But perhaps there isn't, and perhaps perhaps we have just had a good run. But um, I'm not joking. Like no one survives a nuclear war. No one survives a full scale nuclear war. We're all dead. It's just a question of whether you you draw out the, the suffering. Or you just do it that afternoon. I'm yeah. all in favour of doing it that afternoon. Yeah, any normal person. But you think like the president could be away in his near the mountain that they have for like nuclear safety. So what's he president of? Yeah, he's nowhere now. He's just so he's just that he'll be alive along with his guards and a few scientists and doctors for the next thirty years. And... Great, sounds fantastic. No, count me out. Count yeah, me out. Yeah. Like what's he going to do up there? You know. But as in, if enough humans can survive in bunkers. For them, we pop the earth in like thirty years' time. What What are you coming back to? What are you coming back to if the ecolo- if the ecological system has completely collapsed? What are you coming back to? Your like best case scenario. Mm. You're coming back to a form of serfdom more miserable than any that ever existed in human history. Mm. We're, we're coming back to like, like Eden Project bubbles or something, and then you can kind of live in just like a little oasis. Yeah, and I might win the lottery. True. <laughs> like, yeah. I can, I can. You know, if that was all I was living for, yeah, the yeah. hope of that, I'd also yeah, kill myself. Really living for like, <laughs> like, to carry on the human race. Why are we so great? Why are we so important? I've never really understood this. You know, mm. like what's kind of what's so awesome about humans? It's just we're anyway. just. You know, if 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 what you think is awesome is life, then I might get behind that. Life yeah. is awesome. You know, if we had a semblance of 
reason we'd be just firing the, the hardiest bacteria that our that Darwinism has produced at the, what looked like the most livable planets, and we'd yeah. be doing it. Right. We'd be doing it five times a day. You yeah. Know, boom, boom, boom. Just take aim and fire. Like because life is good. Life is good. Are humans yeah. good? I'm not sure. Are you? No, no, I'm not even convinced. Yeah. Some humans are good. Some forms of human society are, are, are pretty good. But like they could go wrong at any time and do. And if and if they go wrong in a in a planet ending way, it's probably better for everyone that we die than, than get to Mars. Mm. You know, sorry, Elon, but, but why, why why do we want to spread the, the plague further if that's what we're doing? Yeah. If it's not what we're doing, then <laughs> then we better hurry up. That's very interesting view. Wow. Cool. Cool. Yeah, I wasn't expecting you to say that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the pointlessness of human existence is, is large, but I, yeah. I never said pointless. Well, lack of clarity as to why we're here and what we're doing beyond just keeping ourselves alive and making more of us. I think this is very, I think this is certainly not the end state yeah. of us. Okay. It's, it's not supposed be. to be. Transcendence, man. Transcendence. Whatever transcendence means to you. We're supposed to transcend this. Yeah. We're not supposed to be... I'm not supposed to care. Like, we've got a president of the United States who who goes on national television and talks about how big his cock is. I'm sorry, man. You've got to transcend this stuff at some point. Yeah. Like, whatever transcendence means to you. It's not that. (laughs) But functionally, that's how some people live their lives yeah i I think the majority of us realize that that's not really right or not Mm. really on but if we don't transcend it and if we allow ourselves to be led by that impulse uh, then let's let's clear some space Mm. i don't think it's right i don't think it's right to stick around certainly not right to inflict it on any other fledgling forms of life which might be crawling themselves free of the ooze (sighs) no just send the bacteria out the bacteria now there's hope there <laughs> you know somewhere scuttling at the on the depths of the marinara trench is is pure light yeah maybe we're just the result of some bacteria that was sent here from some wise thing no protein without dna no dna without protein you explain that yeah. you're the biologist it's the random chemical reaction oh. somehow made some oh. protein that was just about <laughs> able to like Make some other protein that made more of the first protein, and <laughs> some random chemical reaction. That's an interesting yeah. name of God. That's the a new one on me. Soup. I know that. I know the guy's got a hundred, but some random chemical reaction is a new one on me. <laughs> yeah. Well, of the billions of years and molecules across the entire universe, sort of kind of unlikely to happen. But then, yeah, maybe like the Elon Musk were all in the computer game. But then, where did that first? So transcend that. Anyway, transcend that. Like whatever you're in, transcend it. That's that's what you're here for. You're not really here for. um, You're not here to uh, accumulate the the biggest pile of bullshit or the biggest missile or whatever. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Life has a point. Not sure what it is, but it's there. Good times. Good times. And oh yeah, shit! It's New Year's. Any New Year's resolutions? The same. Exactly the same as everyone else. Whatever, yeah. whatever, whoever is listening to this, if anyone is listening to this, whatever you're thinking of, I'm definitely planning the same. Yeah. Yeah, of course. We're all the same. Okay. Oh, come on. Are you telling me that anyone's <laughs> isn't eat less, drink less, gym more? Of course. Mm-hmm. Oh, I 
I've already done too much of that, I think. Oh, yes, maybe I could eat a little bit of that. There you go. See, we're all the same. More... <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, my grandmother, I can't tell you mine, but my grandmother yeah. has no vices that I know of at all. I'm not even joking. She has okay. no vices. I think not having vices is her vice. And so she only makes positive New Year's resolutions. Yeah. So she does not give anything up. She yeah, just so does new More things. focusing on like kind of being more grateful for things. And... She like, well, she writes letters. Yeah. She writes a letter every day. So cool. she might make a New Year's resolution to write five more letters a week. That might be her wow. resolution. I feel like you, you get a, a vanishingly small number of people like my grandmother. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm cool. going to try and be like her. <laughs> yeah, do it. Do it. And hopefully inspire other people to do that too. <laughs> so that's the end of the conversation with Rob. In case you didn't notice, this was released six months after New Year's when it was recorded. Uh, so I do wonder how many of Rob's predictions were accurate for you guys at home. And I certainly hope that we all did better on average than he predicted. So, on to my top tips. Number one, optimise your aid giving. So, on the subject of giving aid or helping out, try to be as useful as possible. If you want to visit a country and physically help out, you should develop some specific skills. Don't just go somewhere on like a glorified holiday where you mainly just get in the way. You'd net make far more beneficial difference by just sending your money to a charity and then just going on a holiday yourself instead. Two, let people break stuff. So this is a solid piece of advice from an actual teacher. Just let people make their own mistakes and learn through messing up because it's just far more empowering than keeping them in an enclosed system. Three. Make positive resolutions. Instead of focusing on the negative, try to find things that can make you happier and more useful to others, or just build better connections or add a skill. As Rob says, there should be more people like this in the world, so hopefully we can be those people. Okay, and now on to books. So just a quick summary of what the books were so you can write them down in case you forgot. The first was H.P. Lovecraft, Whisperer in the Darkness which is the one about fungoid insects stealing people's brains, which sounds really cool and a bit ridiculous. And then the other main book we spoke about was David Foster Wallace's Infinite Jest, which we spoke at length, and you probably don't need my summary. Cool, so that's it. If you enjoyed the podcast, please share it with others. And we do now have a YouTube channel, which is news, and it features some of my favourite questions from each podcast so if there is one section you thought was really useful you should be able to find it there all right peace and love you've listened to an episode of the growth mindset podcast if you enjoyed the show please subscribe on your preferred app and give me a good rating if you are unable to give good feedback right now try sharing the show with a friend who will or just wait for the show to improve if you have any ideas for the show or you just want to reach out i'd love to talk to you on Twitter, I am at Sam Harris Tweets or Instagram Sam Jam Snaps. Show notes, along with links to everything that we discuss, are available at growthmindsetpodcast.com, along with information on how to get involved and blog posts on cool things that we should be aware of. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy your next podcast.